Good morning, church. This morning, we are blessed to um, have a wonderful guest speaker this morning. Uh, his name is Dr. Jeff Louie. Uh, Dr. Jeff Louie is from New York, New York. So you're from the East Coast. That is a wonderful welcome. Uh, Dr. Louie has a master's in theology and Dallas Seminary. Um, he also has a PhD from Dallas Seminary. He has been also an associate pastor at Chinese Bible Church of Oak Park for the last six years. And many of you who reside either in San Francisco, he was also the senior pastor of Sunset Church for the last 19 years. He currently resides as an associate professor at Western Seminary, where I currently go. Uh, some great facts about Dr. Louie is that he is a huge Dallas Mavericks fan. I don't know why or how. Um, he also, uh, a rare trait that he had growing up too was that he actually worked as a truck washer. And um, I want to invite up one of, my, one of my favorite professors. Actually, I only have one favorite professor, which is Dr. Louis. So I'm gonna, can we have a, a warm welcome for uh, Dr. Jeff Louis, please? This is the first time I'm here, so I don't know how to, I don't know how to behave, you know? And so, and when I speak at a place, I get, you get very serious, Jeff, you get very funny, Jeff, you get, you get all different types. And I don't really know until the second time I preach at a place. I always like to get to know people because you can't really minister to them or befriend them or, or assist them without knowing what their journey is. So I'm going to ask a few questions, okay? On said, I'm from New York City. I grew up 21 years in New York City. Any New Yorkers here? Man, that's disappointing, man. It's all okay. It's all right. You know, maybe I shouldn't have taken this one. You know, uh, uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, how many of you are from California? Well, there's a. You're alive. Okay, that's good. How many of you are from another country? Another country being not California. Uh, uh, okay, I got it. How many of you? This your faith in Christ is the first generation in your immediate family who came to Christ. So you're first generation believer. All right. I would raise my hand too. How many of you are second generation believers? That means that you're, you're, you, so you have parents who, who, okay. And how many are third or more? Third generation. Okay. A lot. That's the bulk of it has been third generation, you know. I'm first generation, my daughter is second generation, and my grandchildren are third generation, so we make up all, everything here. The reason why that's very, very important is because oftentimes, um, when we advance in our journey, we often forget where we're, we started from. And, um, well, that's good because life is always about hope and about future and many people are at, I met students at Cal and maybe some graduate students or people with young, like a lot of young families here. It's a lot about the future and what will happen in your life, who you'll meet, where you'll work, who you may marry, how many children you would have and, 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 and things like that. But when it comes to our worship of Jesus Christ, there is something about him and there's something about this whole aspect of worship, and we'll talk a little bit about it in the next half hour, that begs us to always be reacquainted with the very beginning and the very start of each of our entries into the faith. So we will do a lot of things for Christ. 
I have come to realize that for all that we do and all that we accomplish in the name of Christ must always be based upon a foundation that we will never forget. And it's really tied with our beginnings and it's tied with worship and it's tied with uh, what the angelic worship is and who God is and what his plan is. So this morning, I'd like to invite you in a sort of a half an hour investigation in terms of explaining exactly the basis of worship and how it ties with our beginning and ask you this question, why in the world do we worship today and what are we doing here and how do we worship God in our lives? The passage of scripture I've chosen is extremely long. It's actually two chapters. I usually don't preach two chapters, and if I do, I usually don't preach two chapters in one of the hardest books in the New Testament to understand, which is the book of the Revelation. Most people see the book of the Revelation, which is the very last book of the New Testament, as a book filled with sort of imagery and metaphor and sort of the creepy future things, you know. But what's very interesting about this book, at the very beginning in chapters 4 and 5, is a glimpse of a heavenly throne room. And it's not just any heavenly throne room. It is the very throne room of God. And we will see exactly what they are doing up there. And the reason why two chapters are needed is because there's distinctly two scenes in Revelation 4 and 5. A foundational scene and then a completion scene. Why do we worship God? What does the heavenly throne room look like? If you have your Bibles in your cell phones or you know, iPad or whatever, I'm going to read from the NIV translation, Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read, and it goes like this. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there was before me a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold upon their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. There were seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was that looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Now, oftentimes when we think of worship, we think of setting. I was a pastor for 25 years. I, I still do church planting. Uh, I don't do it full time anymore. And you got to understand, when we do worship these days, the setting and the aura and what people feel like when they come is, is very, very important to the modern-day church. How they put the pottery, how the, even the worship people dress. You know, you know, in the old days, they wore suit and ties. Now you want to be more casual and everything. Everything's all set in place. Well, I, I want to tell you, there's nothing really wrong with that. For even in this story in Revelation 4, it begins with the setting. And the setting is magnificent. When I drove up to this church the first time, I saw this place and I said, whoa, this is a big place, you know. 
this is old school architecture here, you know. Oh, wow, you know. I don't know if it's, it's, it's green efficient, you know, but the shore is magnificent. And they walked in, and the stained glass. Imagine this, but infinitely, the setting is more powerful. For it's not just three panes of stained glass. The whole aura of God is sort of reflected uh, precious stones, greens, blues, shining through, glimmering. And that is the first depiction and the vision that John has of God. It's visual. The setting is important. And that's why when you worship God, you don't just want to slap anything together in a building. For it becomes the first sort of a meeting place and the impression you have with God. But that is not where it ends. For I will continue reading Revelation chapter 4. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes. That's a very creepy scene. In front and in back, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying angel, uh, eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and had covered with their eyes all around. Under, even under his wings, day and night, they never stopped saying. Now, I'm just going to stop here. And we have to have a prayer that I finish this message in 30 minutes. There's not only a setting... There is an audience. And the audience here are these very creepy-looking angelic beings with eyes and wings. They look like animals that you see in a zoo. And they're sort of hovering around this uh, worship setting of God. You cannot have worship without a setting. You cannot have worship without an audience. God cannot be worshipped just by being by himself. You need a setting. You need an audience. But there's more than just that. For we have a setting and we have an audience. There has to be a reason why these beings worship God. And this is where I'm going to focus most of my sermon on. In two scenes, I told you that this first scene in chapter 4, which I'm reading... And the second scene is in chapter 5. The first scene in chapter 4 is very, very interesting. For the reason given is now will be found in the verses I will read. Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, if you want to say, well, what in the world are they talking about? Well, I should ask on. He's in my theology class. These are very much part of the attributes of God. You have his holiness, which means he's totally different from any of his created being. He is different in essence and in attributes than every one of us. That, that difference alone makes God worthy of worship. Not only is he holy... Or he's different in essence. It is also described that he is the Lord God Almighty. He is all powerful. Which makes him different than any of us. Because all of us have might. I think that this is a very, probably an accomplished intellectual group, you know. I just have that feeling, that aura, you know. 
And even, you know, some, I, I met a group of Cal students right there in row five. They seem like semi-intellectual people, you know? <laughs> my grand, my, my son-in-law went to Cal, okay? It's a very good school, you know, if you're into that type of stuff, you know? <laughs> uh, my daughters went to UCLA, so I'm a Bruin, I'm a Bruin, okay? Uh, with all your capabilities and all the A's, you've got to be almost straight A to get into Berkeley these days, especially in the better, you know, if you, if you want to be like, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say a major because then some of you is that and I'll offend you, okay? A lesser major, you know, but if you're one of the top higher major engineering or something, you better be straight A plus and, you know, uh, you know and, and be a football player too, you know? Uh, uh, with all that, with all your ability, and there's a lot of ability in this room, there's no way you compare with the Almighty God. No way. Very smart people here, but there's no way. God is holy, he is almighty, and then it says, who was and is and is to come. Eternality. He has no, actually no past. He has no end in the future, and he's present always. We who believe in Jesus Christ inherit eternal life, but it doesn't make us eternal. For we are not eternal in essence. We are eternal in union with Christ. What makes God so different is he is eternal by himself. And what does it mean to be eternal? It means to exist in a place that may have logic, it may have sequence, but you are not limited by time. And every event that has ever occurred is as vivid before you as if it occurs right now. What a tremendous aspect of God. You've never met any being like this. Tremendous, amazing, worthy of praise. But the chapter 4 goes on. I'm going to skip to verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, <clears throat> to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. I gotta just make a declaration. This is basic, the basis of Old Testament worship of God. You worship him for who he is. He's different, holy other. He is eternal, okay? He has, was and is and is to come and he is almighty. And then you worship God for the passage I just read because he created all things. And the image of the creator God and the basis of worship in the Old Testament creation is like one of the top ones up there, okay? That alone is worthy of praise. Who God is, and he created this universe, he created beings on this earth. It's very good. But I just want to tell you, for us who believe in Jesus Christ, that is not where our worship ends. For the worship of God based upon the Old Testament, which is very, very good, is nothing compared with what happens in worship in chapter 5. For chapter 4 is the foundation of worship of who God is and his creation in this universe. But in chapter 5, we're going to up the ante if we're talking, you want to... I, I know you're Christian, so you don't gamble here, you know, you don't gamble. When you up the ante, that means you're, you're putting more money in the book. Some of you know what I'm, I'm talking about, you know, but, you know, you can't admit it since you're in a holy place, you know. Uh, but I'll use the analogy, upping the ante. You're talking about all-in moment. 
I know you don't play uh, Texas Hold'em, so, but uh, you know some of you might, you know, in, 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 you might have heard about it. You go all in because this is where, like, the apex of worship is at. And it begins in chapter 5. And it says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scrolling with writing on both sides. And that's one of those printers that can print on both sides of the paper, you know. And sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who was worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Now, this is the darnest thing. Here you got holy, holy, holy God, the almighty God, the creator of all things God, the God who is eternal, who all events are equally vivid in front of him. He can't open a book. Which is the strangest thing. How could someone who is almighty not be able to open a book? Because the book has nothing to do with strength or muscle. It has to do with who is worthy. Who has the authority. To open it. And this is crazy. Because God is worshipped for who he is and he's holy and he's almighty and he knows all things and he's eternal and all things. And he created all things. You know, he created that book, you know. Because once you understand this dilemma, you understand there's a problem with creation. And you understand the fullness of what God's going to try to do in this creation. And this whole problem is going to be undone or solved by one individual was the very son of God but what makes him slightly different and makes him worthy is because he does something in his life where God finally sees and says aha the final one that I deemed is worthy to open this book because it is not about strength it is about character it is about what he achieved in life Then I, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw a lamb looking as it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders and seven horns and seven eyes with seven spirits of God sent into all the earth he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls full of incense. Now this is, this is, this is crazy. Again, throne room scene of chapter 4. Worship of God in the Old Testament. Holy, 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 almighty, eternality, his creation of this universe. God in the throne in the center has this book he cannot open. Stupidest thing ever, you know? It's one of these like these problems that you can't solve, you know? It's going to take goodwill hunting, you know, some some janitor at MIT, you know, to figure it out, you know? 
what's going on here? Elder says, ah, we got one lion in the tribe of Judah, which is a very majestic image, lion, you know, big, you know, like, you know, it's a big animal, you know, kind of furry, but strange, furry only in the uh, waist up, you know, it's like strange animal, you know. But when you see him, he looks as a lamb who had been slain. For this being both has the majestic sort of title of deliverer, but in his action, in his appearance, he had been sacrificed, which we know to be Christ himself and the merging of all the, 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 the themes of his reign and kingship and authority with his sacrifice and atoning work. For some reason, God can be worshipped in four without this being coming in to take the scroll from God. But in order to worship God in the completion in Revelation 5, you have to have this Christ, both as majestic and sacrificed. And then he takes the scroll. And there's an unusual verse in verse 9 in chapter 5. It goes like this. They sang a new song. A new song. Finally, a modern song. And the modern song, when you hear it, is going to be very different from the song in the old. It goes like this in verse 9. They sang a new song, and you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain and with your blood you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign upon the earth. We're assuming the holiness because it's the Son of God is there. We're assuming His power is there because He's God's Son. We're assuming the eternality is there because he is God's son. What is different and what makes him worthy is through his death. Okay, I'm just going to be very, I, I love being in this place because, you know, I, I, it's like looking in the mirror, you know. I'm an Asian man, you know. And I speak a lot of places. Speak a black church, I speak a white church, I speak a mixed churches, and this is, okay, if you're not Asian, forgive me, you know. Uh, it's affirmative action that you got in, you know. Uh, I'm just joking, okay. Uh, I'm Chinese by descent. Uh, my first, uh, my grandfather immigrated from China in the turn of the century, not this century. That's turn of millennia, turn of the century is 1900s. Uh, with immigration of Chinese, uh, early immigration, they either did the railroads in the, in the Bay Area or they were sort of like a fleeing to do something better in the East Coast. And they were all poor. Most of those Chinese that immigrated in the turn of the century or 18, late 1800s were really poor. Okay, fleeing famine. My mom and I was raised 
as an ancestor worshiper. From the earliest days, my mom would take us to cemeteries, bringing food, chicken, fake money, and uh, incense to burn incense to burn in front of my ancestors' gravestone. That was my first introduction to worship. Okay. I'm not of Jewish descent, so I have no DNA tied to the hope and blessing of God through Abraham. I'm of Chinese, Toysanese DNA stock. And if any of you are Toysanese, that's like hillbilly Chinese. Toysanese. Toysanese hillbilly Chinese. I have no right to know the true and living God. And without the grace of God, I have no way to know the true and living God. As a matter of fact, unless some of you have Jewish DNA within you, none of us in this room have a right to know the true and living God. except by the grace of God's Son, Jesus Christ. In a strange way, his death allows me in. And not only allows me in because he was slain, and with it you purchase men for our God from every tribe and language, people and nation, Verse 10, you made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve God. It's not only entry, it's service. It's not only service, but the last line in verse 10, and they will reign upon the earth. It is co-regency with God, baby. The ability to be in authority with the one who purchased me. And it's no underling scrub helper type of description. It is redemption with a purpose, and the purpose is very, very high. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. And it's the new song, because this is not in the old. This is only in the New Testament with the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to go even further. i got ten minutes more. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. Some translations, they have myriad and myriad. It's a really nice word, just no one knows what it means. You're talking a lot. Ten thousand times ten thousand times ten thousand. What we had is limited worship in four of these four funky-looking creatures and 24 elders, whoever they represent, worshiping God. Now you have every angelic being worshiping God. Trillion. 
they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, the angels now join in. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now, that's really good because now you've got the angelic choir in there. And I think they're pretty good singers, you know, when they get in. But what is really amazing is verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Now, I'm an animal lover. I've got to tell you that. When I was young, I said, maybe I want to do something with animals, you know, but there's not much, not many jobs with animals, you know, like, you know, a dog groomer, you know, something like that, zookeeper, you know, something like that. So I said, what am I going to do? I'm going to be a minister, okay. But I always loved animals, man. We had a dog. The dog passed away. The saddest thing ever in my life. Because this dog is the only being that gives me unconditional love. Okay? Once had some rabbits. Not as good as a dog. Just a little furry, you know, just sits there. Putting holes in your pants. I have two tropical fish in my room now in nanotanks, any of you aquarium aficionados, they have nanotanks, these little, little like three, five gallon tanks, all glass, and I got these two little uh, Siamese fighting fish, and they're, they're one, you know, one's named Nitro, and the one's named Flame, and I feed them, and they all like looking at me and everything, okay. They give me fun in my room, in my office. I got to tell you, this description of the worship in Revelation 5 is incredible. Because with Christ coming in and what he has done and purchasing us, every creature, metaphorically, in heaven, on earth, in the seas, are giving praise because every created being recognizes that this is the reason why we worship God. For the new creation is just around the corner. I'll tell you, I love my tropical fish. I've never seen them sing before. I love my dog. May he rest in peace beyond the rainbow bridge. I had never seen him sing. There's something about Christ and what he did for us that gets creation jumping. But it is the climax, the end, the fullness, the ultimate reason of why we worship God. For the worship of God to be based upon the setting, it could be based upon his character, his nature, his essence or attributes, that itself would be worship, worthy of worship. It could be based upon the fact that he was creator of all things. 
But the true glory of God and the true aura and majesty of God is beyond the stained glass into the eyes of Jesus Christ who died for me and has drawn us all in. And with this, we triumph. And this will occur eternally. For this is the central reason why worship exists in amongst the heavenly beings in the throne room of God. Because they see you and I who were aliens to the hope included. And the angels go crazy. Jesus said, when someone converts and comes to Christ, the angels rejoice. Because this had always been the end goal of Jesus and end goal of God. It's not just the worship of God for who he is. It is the worship of God for what he will do and our inclusion in that which he will do for us. And Aaron coming to an end. I got five minutes. I love chapter four and five of the book of Revelation. One, because it always helps me to understand what the gospel is in Christ. It understands, makes me understand that it's atoning work and is inclusion of all people. It too, it reminds me I'm never to forget where I came from. In God. In Christ. Because it's very, very easy as a believer to forget that. Because life gets very complicated. And you forget that life is a grace. You must always remember life is a grace. I suffer from an autoimmune disorder. And I'm, one of the symptoms that I still have is I, all my glands, they don't secrete very well. So my eyes, uh, I wake up, it's like someone super glued my eyelids in the morning. And I'm incredibly thirsty now. So my saliva glands are not working well. All of us need to understand something that I've come to understand. Ultimately, my life and my existence is, a, is by the grace of God to sustain me daily and even to allow me to be who I am in the kingdom of God through the blood and the atoning work of Jesus. It is by a grace. I know there's going to be some of you here that feel that God owes you because of something you experienced. I want to tell you, you got to get beyond that because it is not anyone owing anyone anything. It is the incorporation into the praise of God because you understand that what you have is a grace. And finally, to be ever involved in that grace and to be able to share the gospel to someone that is different to you. About 15 years ago, I got a, a letter from a, someone I had never, I had forgotten. 
I'd already moved in, in California. I lived here since 1990, maybe 20 years ago. And he said, you don't remember who I am, but let me tell you who I am. I was your, I was a friend of yours when we were freshmen in high school. Wow, that's a long time ago because I'm 61. He says, I'm a clinical psychologist now practicing in um, Connecticut. But I want to tell you something because in my life and in my journey, and he got married, he got divorced, and he had to went through all different types of circumstances in life, he became a Christian. And he said, I wanted to write this letter because when we were 16 years old, you were the very first person who ever shared Christ with me. I'll remember that letter for the rest of my life, even though I can't find it anymore. You know why? It is the closest thing that I can do that reflects the very grace of my Lord Jesus Christ for what he did for me. It is not my ability to give a sermon or my ability to give a theological lecture. It is to be in part with the greatest plan and task that our Lord had wanted that culminates in the, in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And every time I do that, in some strange way, I understand the grace manifest that grace. We all need to be involved in reaching people for Christ. I got to tell you that. And all around us, it could be your children, students all around. I love the Bay Area because it's multicultural, multi-ethnic. All around us. People all around us. Two days from now, I'll be giving a series of four hours of lecture at a church in Gilroy on rethinking evangelism, reaching people we love with Christ. Love that. Because it's the very essence of worship. It is the very essence of what Christ was supposed to do. It is at the center of our being here. And we're never to forget it. I'm never to forget that there were some urban missionaries who planted a church in Chinatown, New York, and decided to get a bunch of kids together and share Christ with them. I'm never to forget that. you came to Christ 
in the grace. You were never to forget that either. Give me the honor to say a prayer. And it will be a song. My Heavenly Father, I pray for these, my friends. As we understand worship and glory and honor, we understand you, O Lord, Son of God, who on the cross shed his life and blood for me to gather people from every continent and every language and every ethnicity to draw us near to join in worship. May we never forget what is at the center. May we always be reminded of it. And may you put upon this congregation a true loving desire to share Christ with people you have placed around us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.